So we've been singing some amazing songs this morning. And, uh, you know, we've been singing songs about the resurrection. We've just had Easter. I spoke recently about that time in between Easter and the ascension. What was Jesus? Who was Jesus talking to? What was he talking about? And um, there's a passage that I want to look at just very uh, just a tiny little passage that I want us to look at and enlarge on it this morning. So Matthew 28, this is in that period of time where Jesus has resurrected, but he's not yet ascended. And obviously Pentecost is coming, just like it is in our calendar. And um, Matthew 28, very, very famous little passage from verse 16 says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You know, sometimes we go through life, don't we? And we feel like we're just all alone. We feel like we're facing something on our own, all alone. We, f- we try to pray and the heavens seem like brass. But we need to remind ourselves and encourage ourselves by reading scriptures like this, where Jesus says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will be with you all time. But it's that little line that I want to, as he begins this, that I want to look at today. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. I don't know if you watch much telly. It's all the same these days, isn't it? It's all dating shows. So Love Island, Celebrity Love Island, Australian Love Island, first dates. You know, there was one that I, I, I mean, I hate all that stuff, but there was one that I found quite interesting. It was called Dating in the Dark. I'm sure you all play Postman's Knock. <laughs> but Dating in the Dark is an interesting program because they get a, a couple and... Um, they get them to ask each other questions in the pitch, pitch dark, so they can't see each other. And it's sort of like making up their mind whether they like this person or not, or whether they want to get to know this person a little bit more, just by hearing the voice, what they're saying, the answers, and things like that. And it was really interesting. And they're interviewing them. What, what do you think about this person? What do you think they look like? What do you think they're like? And, and they're, sounding, they're saying, oh, well, they, fa- they sound like a really compassionate, loving person. And they're sort of like making the mind up about that person. And then the light goes on. Oh. <laughs> oh, it sounded really lovely. <laughs> and then the light goes on. And, um, you know, sometimes faith is a little bit like that, isn't it? You know, we sort of like, the Bible says one day we will see him. One day we will see him. And sometimes we're, we're walking through this life and we, we feel like we, we know Jesus, but we haven't really seen him. But scripture encourages us to keep reading about him. Keep finding out more about him. Keep listening to what he says and what he teaches. 
And slowly but surely, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our mind, our spiritual eyes will begin to be revealed more and more who Jesus is. And people begin that journey with him. They like what Jesus says. They like what Jesus stands for. So they read a little bit more. They read a bit, little bit more. And um, I'm sure the Apostle Paul never saw dating in the dark. But when he wrote in Ephesians, he wrote this passage in Ephesians 1, which really sort of like reminded me a, l- a little bit like that. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 says this, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for God's people everywhere. I've never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich in this glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under his authority and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere in him. What Paul's writing is basically, I wish and I pray that as I flick that switch and turn that light on, you see Jesus for who he is. You see Jesus as being far above anything, anyone, any power, anything that's influenced you before, that you see Jesus as far above a long time ago now, I don't know what bookshop it was in. It was a cheap bookshop. I bought this People Who Changed the World for a fiver. And uh, it's got some amazing people in this book. Absolutely amazing people. People like uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Buddha, Confucius, Plato, Aristotle, Alexander the Great. All sorts of people. It goes on into sort of like modern day people, the Marquis of uh, De Lafayette, never heard of him anyway, but William Wilberforce, Elgin, Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook? (laughs) Nothing me, Thomas Cook, but anyway. Charles Darwin, Karl Marx, Tolstoy, Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell. Amazing. Amazing when you read all about these amazing people that changed the world, that influenced the world in some, some ways. But when you get to the bit that it re- tells you about Jesus Christ, it's about three times thicker than any other, any other bit in, the, in, in this book. It says all kinds of stuff about Jesus. And you begin to realize, even from this book, never mind this book, 
that Jesus is far above any other person that ever lived. Amazing what Jesus did, what Jesus said, who Jesus says he is. Absolutely amazing. Worth a fiver. I'll sell it to you afterwards. Okay. Six quid. Made a profit. But amazing. And Paul, Paul wants us to realize what rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his people. He wants us to get a revelation of who Jesus is. And sometimes we have to go on a real journey with Jesus before we actually, actually he is revealed to us. Sometimes we have to get in some pretty dark places to actually realize his power. We have to really struggle sometimes. But when you do, you look, look around all these people. There's people who have struggled. There's people who have been in dark places. There are people who have faced all kinds of situations. But they found Jesus. They found Jesus to be the strength, to be the one who, who, who really is head and shoulders above everybody else. And, you know, Paul's praying that all of us, even this morning, even this morning, that light gets brighter and we begin to see Jesus by the Holy Spirit more and more clearer. Paul prays that we receive spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, knowledge is good, but wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. There's lots of people who've got a lot of knowledge. They've got doctorates, they've got masters, they've got degrees. But you know, Their lives can still be falling apart if they haven't got wisdom. Wisdom is from God. God gives you wisdom to put all the knowledge in the world together and begin to live righteously and right. And reading through this passage, it reminds me of uh, a plane journey that um, I've got the privilege of going on. Out in Nepal, you can catch a rickety old plane that's not got a very good uh, record for safety, but it takes you up along the Himalayan ridge, past all the highest peaks in the world, and then you get to Mount Everest. And as as you're looking through the sort of like the mist and you can see the mountains, it's absolutely spectacular. And then out of the window of the plane, you can see the side of Everest. And it goes up and up and up, and then the clouds cover it. And so the plane has to go up and through the clouds. And then when you go through the clouds, it's still climbing. It's absolutely massive, is Mount Everest. And when you see the, 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 the summit and you can see all around, you, all the hairs on the back of your, your neck stand up. It's just an amazing sight. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. This is who Jesus is. Do you know what? There's some pretty amazing people in the world who have lived, who have influenced the world, who have done things and showed us things and invented things. But there's no one like Jesus. No one like Jesus. He is far above, far above. He says this, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly places. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that you will receive 
understanding and revelation. That moment when suddenly it all makes sense. Suddenly that penny drops. Suddenly the light goes on. And then he goes up a level. In verse 19 he says this. And this is what Jesus came to do and to achieve. He says that, uh, that we can gain an understanding of the great power that raised Jesus from the dead. That resurrection power, we can begin to understand what that is. And we can experience it. But then he goes up another level. To an amazing verse when you break it down. That Jesus is no longer a babe in the manger. Verse 21. I've lost it. Here he goes. He says, He's far above any ruler or any authority or any power or any leader or anything else, not only in this world or the world to come. So Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. He's no longer a, a carpenter of Nazareth. He's not even on the cross anymore. He's far above any ruler, any power, any authority, anything else that's gone or that is to come. Now, if I was Phoebe Owen preaching right now, I would say it's a little bit like an orchestra. Or, you know, we all watched the King's Coronation, didn't we? And we heard the choir sing and we heard the music, how it starts off with just sort of like the, the more lighter instruments, the flutes or something like that, or the violins. And then suddenly the, the whole strings start cutting in or the, the whole woodwind section starts coming in. And then all of a sudden the brass cart starts coming in and the, the drums and everything like that. And the whole choir comes to a, a crescendo. That's a bit like Paul is writing here. Now, I'm not a musician, but I like riding my motorbike. And I can remember, you know, riding around Cadwell Park uh, on my motorbike. And it was a race day, and I was thinking I was like boy racer. And, uh, you, you know, you, you get on the bike, and you, you put it in first gear, and you set off. And you get up to about 4,000 revs, and you, you can't believe the speedo, because you're already doing about 50 miles an hour. And you change up to second and the revs go up a bit. And then you're going about 100 miles an hour in second gear. And then you think, wow, this is amazing. I better change up again. So you change up again. And the revs go up even more. And you're doing 130 miles an hour. And you're flying down this, this straight. And the engine's like absolutely coming to a crescendo. And you change up again. And by the time you're up into sixth gear, the, revs, the rev counter's going like this. And the little red light on your dashboard's flashing away saying, no more, no more, no more. And you look at the speedo, you're doing 150, 160 miles an hour. And you're thinking, this is amazing. And the adrenaline's going through you and everything like that. But that doesn't compare to finding out how amazing Jesus is. How far above all Jesus is. Whatever you've done in this world, whoever you've met in this world... You cannot meet anybody greater than Jesus Christ. We live in a world where we're taught that all faith and all religions are valid. And no one religious teacher is greater than another. And yet Ephesians questions that. Ephesians smashes that. Paul, unashamedly, without criticizing any other, declares that Jesus is far above anything. Let me show you why Paul can confidently and unrepentantly declare such things. In John 19, we read the familiar passage 
of Jesus being crucified on the cross. Verse 28 says this, Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. When Jesus tasted it, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. On the cross, bruised and battered though he was, his body bloody and beaten, Jesus declares, It, it is finished. It is finished. That has huge significance on our lives. You can question it and say, what is finished? Well, we're going to look at very briefly what is finished, who finished it, where was it finished, why was it finished, and how was it finished? What is finished? We just sang about it. Sin and death are finished. Sin and death are finished. Jesus' mission was to eradicate sin and death. And Jesus fulfilled his mission on the cross. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. Was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. He is alive. Jesus, Jesus has finished death and sin. So that's what is finished. Who has finished it? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to, to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That's who has finished it. Jesus did that for every single one of us. Where was it finished? On the cross. Only on the cross. Nowhere else. It had to be on a cross. It had to be. The worst of all, the worst that humans could even invent, God did the best. God does the best, even in the worst of situations. Why was it finished? Why was it finished? Well, the Bible says that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. What did that signify? It signified now there was no barrier between mankind and God. That barrier was gone. We could connect with God. We could know God. We could have a relationship with God. How was it finished? Well, God sent his blameless son to take on our sin. He put on our sin and put on death for you and me. For God so loved the world. That's how it was finished. I don't know how much of the Bible you've read, but the more you discover about it, the more you learn and you see that everything contained in the Bible from Old Testament right up to the, the last book of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus, is describing Jesus, is, is leading you to Jesus. And then the New Testament comes and it shows the baby born in the manger. Lots of things are said in, in, in that particular little part of Scripture that actually show who Jesus is. So, in John 19, where are we, that I've just read from, we see this, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So he soaked a sponge in it. He put it on a hyssop plant 
and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And when you look at that, you think, well, why, why, are, we, why are we reading so much detail there? You know, there's a little sponge and a hyssop. What is hyssop? Have you got hyssop in your garden? Probably not. But in the Middle East, hyssop is a, it's a type of herb. It's a bit like rosemary. It's a bit like oregano. It's got sort of like a bit of a woody, woody stem and it has long sort of like, uh, I don't know, stems grow, growing up. That's what hyssop is. Why does John write about hyssop? What's hyssop got to do with the whole death of Jesus Christ? Well, if you look back through Scripture, you see that hyssop has amazing significance. So in Exodus 12, 22, Moses tells the Israelites, the people of God, well, if you want freedom, if you want deliverance, slaughter a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the frame, on the wooden frames of your door with a hyssop plant. Use the hyssop, dip it in the blood, and put it on the wooden door frame. Because the angel of death was going to pass over. And anybody who had this round was going to be spared. So you've got wood with the door frame, you've got blood of the lamb, and you've got hyssop. A little bit later in, Le- in um, Leviticus 14.6, if you had an infectious skin disease or something that you needed healing, you should go to the priest and the instructions are, take some cedar wood, take the blood of a dove or a pigeon and take hyssop. That's strange. You've got wood, you've got blood and you've got hyssop. So if you need healing, you need all those three. Just like you needed those three for deliverance. In Numbers 19 verse 6, if you need cleansing because you feel filthy because of your sin, then you to take to the police, uh, to the priest, not the police, the, pri- <laughs> the priest, the blood of a bull, of a young bull, a, a, a heifer, some wood, and hyssop. So if you need forgiveness, wood, blood, and hyssop. Again, all through Scripture. So when John's writing his passage, he makes note of the fact that what they're using, unbeknown to them, is a hyssop plant. And they're holding it up to Jesus, who's dying on the wooden cross, and his blood is flowing for us. You've got wood, you've got blood, you've got hyssop. And on the cross, you've got deliverance, you've got healing, you've got forgiveness. You've got all those rolled into one. And John, and John is saying, do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see what I'm seeing here? The light is going on. That switch is being flicked. I know who Jesus is. That revelation in that moment of who Jesus is. You no longer need a sacrifice. The little lambs are glad for that. That's probably why they skip now. You know, the doves and the pigeons, they coo. Because we no longer need a sacrifice because Jesus is our sacrifice once and for all. He's our sacrifice for our deliverance. He's our sacrifice for our healing. He's our sacrifice for forgiveness. 
The Bible says that if we have sinned, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Because why? Because he's far above all. You can get wisdom from lots of people. There's some very brainy people. But only Jesus will accumulate all those, what anybody else has done. We've heard testimony after testimony of people realizing their need for Jesus in their life. Longing for him most of their life and then praying and asking him into their lives. And Jesus comes in. And this is how John describes Jesus. But how does Jesus describe himself? Interestingly, Jesus uses a little bit of a strange term, a funny term. But it's there throughout the Old Testament. Son of man. Son of man. If you read through the Old Testament various times, son of man. Daniel writes about it. But Jesus says in Luke 19, when he's describing who he is and what he's come to do, he says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he did. He came to seek and to save the lost. In the Gospel of Mark, it says this, for even the son of man came not to serve, but to, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus describing himself. He came for the lost. He didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life. But he then goes on to say in Matthew 26, you have, you have said in the future we'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. So what Jesus is saying is, yes, I'm your, I'm your healer, I'm your deliverer, I'm the one who's going to give my life a ransom for many, but then God's going to raise me up to his right hand. That's a bold statement. But what Jesus was actually saying is, I am the Son of God. I describe myself as the Son of Man, but I'm also the Son of God. And when the people were comparing him with John the Baptist, Jesus cut in and he said this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, but you, you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, Jesus is all who he said he was. He is God. He did come to seek and to save the lost. He is a friend of tax collectors and sinners and drunkards, people who know better and people who don't know any better. His heart is for us. His blood is for us. His sacrifice is for us. So as we come to him at any time, but particularly this morning, if we come to him this morning, we need to decide that we're not coming to this weak, pasty, insipid, pale-skinned, long-haired man that we see so much on the pictures and even his on the front of this book, actually. You know, it looks a right wet week. He's not that at all. We're coming, we're not even coming to a good man who did some good things and said some good stuff. We're coming to Jesus who is far above any ruler, or authority, or power, or leader, or anything in this world or in the world to come. Because Jesus said, all authority is given to me. Now, I don't know what you're struggling with this morning, but he does. I don't know what situation you're facing this morning, 
but he does. I don't know what illness you've been diagnosed with, but he does. I don't know what sin you're struggling with this morning, but he does. And in him, we can have freedom, we can have deliverance, we can have healing, we can have forgiveness. So I'd ask you to bow your head. And instead of me praying, I'm going to read quite a portion of Scripture. Because there's power in Scripture. The Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. Far better than I could preach it. But I'm going to read this Scripture out of Colossians chapter 1 about Jesus. Well, it says the title of that little passage is, Jesus is Supreme. And I want you in this moment of just quiet and silence, just be aware that Jesus is here. All authority in heaven and on earth is in Jesus. He is far above anyone or anything that is ruling over you, intimidating you, bringing you down, affecting you in some adverse sort of a way. So as we read this scripture, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak Jesus' healing and power and deliverance and forgiveness into your life. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers and authorities, everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. Christ is ahead of the church, which is his body. He is the first of all who will rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And by him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. And as a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand in it firmly. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. 
the good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed by God to proclaim it. Just in this silence, just be aware of God touching you, filling you, healing you, freeing you, forgiving you. He's done it all. He's done it all. There's nothing that he cannot do. He's far above all. One sec. Just in this moment, whatever it is that is plaguing you, nagging you, affecting you, just begin to pray. Just quietly, maybe in the quietness of your own heart, but just begin to pray. And just begin to accept that Jesus has all authority over everything. Everything. When he died on the cross, he said... It is finished. And just begin to claim victory over whatever situation, whatever illness, whatever condition, whatever mindset. Begin to get a clear picture of him. As the musicians come up and begin to play, you just pray. You just give that affliction, that condition, that situation, to Jesus in your mind's eye come to the foot of the cross where he accomplished everything where he said it is finished allow him to speak that over your life this morning it is finished and see him far above all far above everything he is supreme thank you Lord thank you Lord let's begin to pray Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Jesus.